The South American crop steals the spotlight in the February WASDE report as global events continue to take shape. What might this mean for prospective planting in a few weeks? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The February WASD dropped Wednesday, February 9th, with USDA bringing attention back to the drought in South America and its possible effect on global stocks, even if their estimates struck traders as shy of the mark. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack the rest of a relatively quiet report and to discuss how possible conflict in Eastern Europe, among other factors, might be playing into market moves. We'll discuss the details of growing ethanol and crush demand, dig into supply chain issues at the U.S.-Canadian border, and discuss where China may turn to fill their demand in the coming months, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the February world supply and demand estimates. Todd, I think there were some expectations going into this report. What were you expecting to see in the last 24 hours in terms of news out of USDA? I think it was fairly obvious that we were going to be focused on the South American crop estimates. That's where all the attention was. And we've had a lot of private crop estimates coming in very low. And we wanted to know what USDA think about that. Would they go along with it or would they keep to their cautious pattern when it comes to adjusting for drought? And so that's where the main focus was. Other than that, we didn't have a lot of expectations. February reports are usually pretty quiet, docile reports. But with the drought concerns in South America, that really added a lot more attention this year. And looking at the updates that USDA made, did that seem to be in line with what trade was expecting and did the market react? It sure did, Sarah. So for, to, to answer the first question, the the trade already knew, I think, in their trade estimates that USDA has a tendency to be cautious. And it turned out that USDA was even more conservative than the trade expected. The uh, market responded by sagging lower for all of maybe 15 minutes and then went right back to its bull market mode. It just the, the numbers USDA put out yesterday just were not relevant to what's happening in the market today, and traders knew that, and they just got back to normal business shortly after the report. I'm curious, keeping in mind that February usually is a quiet report, is the very short kind of response time there, 
Do you think that is something that we might expect to see more often as some of the private estimates just get better and people start to maybe look at USDA's estimates with more of a critical eye? Yeah, I can tell you they they sure didn't help their reputation any yesterday. And I don't know, I'm not sure if I would agree with the notion that private crop estimates are getting better and better. Maybe they are, but they I think there's always a tendency in private estimates to overshoot on on the concern or fearful side. But I, I have to say that the a lot of the private estimates that were coming in lower seem to be more on the mark. And it turns out that Brazil's crop agency came out with their own estimates on Thursday morning, and they're much more in line with what the private estimates are saying. So USDA seems to be odd man out this time around. I want to get into some of the specifics around corn. Talk to us about the top line readout in terms of updates for corn stocks and usage. Yeah, it's real easy to describe this time around because there were absolutely no changes to USDA's estimates from January. So we still have an ending stocks estimate, 1.54 billion bushels. Exports weren't changed, nothing else. Feed demand ethanol, they all stayed the same. So as far as the U.S. supply and demand table went, there were no changes. And of course, that made it very easy for the market to turn their attention to the world numbers. And in terms of demand abroad, looking at the drought conditions in Latin America and considering Brazil and Argentina's crops, how is, there's also some uncertainty right now about China and where China is making its purchases, whether or not it's going to make some purchases. How did that play into the perspective on demand, global demand? Yes, that still remains an interesting question. This year, the way it is, China basically has a choice of buying corn from the U.S. or from Ukraine. And Ukraine obviously is having some problems (laughs) at the moment. Russia is conducting naval drills in in the Black Sea, and that's making shipping out of Ukraine more difficult. But up until recently, China has been getting corn out of Ukraine. And so we're always curious, what is China's corn need? And looking at prices in China, it, it looks like they have a lot of potential for buying more corn. They're in their domestic prices over $11 a bushel. If we look at USDA's estimates, there was a a hint from the attache earlier in the week that China's corn import estimate might be reduced. But the WASD uh, board basically disagreed with that assessment, and they kept all of China's demand estimates the same as January. So they're still looking for China's production to fall short of consumption by about 884 million bushels. And so China still has more corn to buy. And, and it is an interesting question to see where they're going to source that corn from. And I'm curious, how are you seeing, though, these relatively minor, if really at all, shifts um, affecting what farmers are seeing on the basis front? The basis has actually stayed quite firm. And I think the encouraging thing about that is that ethanol inventory has uh, really ballooned higher the past few weeks. It came down a a little bit in this week's report, but it's still near its highest levels in almost two years. Now, this is the time of year when ethanol inventory tends to go up. We get slower demand in uh, the winter season months before the driving season starts to pick up like in May. So it's not out of the ordinary but that's also played a part. And the next big looming report that might offer some interesting information is the the prospective planting report coming out uh, next month. 
In the last couple of months, have you seen anything in the data that makes you think that there might be some unusual or unexpected numbers in that analysis? Of course, all winter long, we've been concerned about high fertilizer prices and the impact that might have. Will it reduce corn acres significantly? So that's one factor going on. Now that we have soybean prices just ramping up higher and trading above $16, and we're seeing more increases, it seems, every month from soybean oil use for biofuels, that that demand story is staying very strong. Will it convince the farm community to get out there and plant more soybean acres. Uh, that's, I think that's going to be the question of the spring. And it, it's a little difficult to answer right now. Originally, I thought maybe 90 million acres of corn and 87 on soybeans. Now I'm leaning more maybe toward a more balanced of 88 million acres each, something like that. Switching to so- soybeans a little bit here, Talk to us about the updates as far as stocks goes, and is that in line with the expectations? Yes, it was close to what the trade was expecting. The ending stocks estimate was reduced for soybeans from 350 million bushels down to 325 million bushels. There was only one item that was changed, and that was crush demand was increased by 25 million bushels. Now, we've been talking about crush demand probably just about every day in our market comments about how well it's doing. The incentives are historically high. They have been for several months. To see the increase in the crush demand estimate was not a surprise and a shock. We didn't know if the export estimate might change given the crop damage that we're seeing in South America. But this time around, USDA did not change the export estimate on soybeans. I'm curious in terms of both ethanol and crush, as we look, you mentioned ethanol stocks are up a little bit because it's a winter driving season, which is not a big driving season. But in terms of fueling the growth in both of those, we talked a little bit earlier this week on the podcast about Iowa talking about an E15 bill. Are some of these policy measures impacting those markets or is this just market effects at work? Yes. Let me start with the ethanol one first. They both have different factors that have been helping them out. In ethanol, it really helped post-Hurricane Ida when we got our oil and gas production to pick back up again. And driving demand this year has increased very strongly and really all economic demand through 2021. I say this year, but I'm referring to 2021. The demand side of the of the economy has really picked up strong, and that includes, includes driving demand and, and demand for fuel. And once we got past that hump of the damage from Hurricane Ida, about mid-October, we saw ethanol prices started to increase sharply, and they, they had a big rally right up until Thanksgiving time. Well, a lot of that, I think, was just playing catch up with the stronger demand that we're seeing for fuel in the uh, economy this year. Then ever since Thanksgiving, those that ethanol prices has been coming down uh, fairly rapidly and it got to its lowest level in about nine months. But overall, still, there's still a very strong demand for gasoline and fuel out there. And we still don't have our energy production back to where it was before the pandemic. So we're still coming up short on the production side, and that's why we've seen higher prices at the pump. So there, there is more incentive there to pull out more ethanol production, and that, that's the good news for the ethanol side. On the crush side, we've always 
historically seen strong soybean meal values for the most part related to the growth of prosperity in Asia and the increasing desire to have protein in the diet. That's been a long-term 30-plus year trend helping the soybean market. For the long time, though, soybean oil was the waste product of that crush process and took a beating and was typically the weak sister for a long time. However, now with the new renewable diesel product that they've come up with, there is such excitement and demand for this product because, number one, it does not have to be blended with any fuel, chemically the same as any diesel petroleum fuel. And so it's got a lot of big positives to it. It can be shipped in the same pipeline with normal diesel. It can be used as an either or swap out situation or in any blending amount. And for that reason, the petroleum industry is just as excited about this product as the ag community. So it's a new day for soybean oil demand. And it's just a matter of how quickly can we get renewable diesel up and going again. That plant capacity has increased by 29% over just the past 12 months. And the numbers I'm giving you are about two months old because uh, that's the latest date of the reports they'll give us. So this new excitement and popularity for soybean oil to be used as uh, a viable fuel that also has the support of the petroleum industry has really given a, a historical boost to the crush values for soybeans that we're seeing. So not only do we have strong demand for meal on the protein side, now we have strong demand for bean oil on the fuel side. And it's given the crush industry profit margins like they haven't seen. More fuel for the flames of soybeans might have a little bit more power than we might have expected going into planting for this year. But talk to us in the shorter term about how that's affecting soybean basis. It's actually holding up quite well. Soybean basis and, and of course, cash soybean prices are quite well. They're no slouch either. We're couple days ago, we're above $15. Now we're going to be close to 15, maybe 60 or more as a national cash average for the soybean price. The basis is roughly 48 cents below the March contract. And for this time of year, that's the second strongest basis we've seen in six years. So domestic demand's doing very well, especially when you consider it's just February. (laughs) I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about wheat, which has been in the spotlight for several months as it we struggle with stocks and figure out how to recover from or potentially continue with a, a pretty devastating drought in the West. Where are we coming out of this report as far as what wheat stocks and demand look like? Yes, wheat had the one bearish adjustment of the day. The ending stocks were increased from 628 million bushels, and now they're 648 million bushels. So a 20 million bushel increase, 15 of that came from a drop in the export estimate. So the new export estimates now 810 million bushels, which is really a low pathetic number, and we may not even meet that for the year. But we have to give wheat some credit. We did have much lower supplies than usual this year, so that's hurting exports, but Also, just the fact of where we're placed in the geography of the world, it's tough to compete, especially when Russia and Europe have had plenty of wheat supplies to compete with us against. Speaking of the global market and especially Eastern Europe, a lot of 
geopolitical conflict happening throughout the world at the moment or threatening to happen. How is, we've talked, we talked in January about how that might be being priced into the market already. Do you think, does it seem like ag markets are still holding their breath waiting to see what happens in Ukraine? Or is there some clarity around what this could mean for ag trade? Yeah, I I think overall markets have had a fairly what I would call very practical response to the situation in Ukraine. And that is, I don't see wheat prices blasting higher because of fear of possible attack. And wheat prices have actually chopped back and forth. They're holding in a sideways range at the moment. We have seen benefit to the soybean oil price because Ukraine happens to be the world's largest exporter of sunflower seed oil. And that's a, a very big component in the vegetable oil sector. And But the biggest impact has come in higher crude oil prices. And just the concern that any international conflict Russia could possibly use withholding energy, both crude oil and natural gas uh, supplies back as a possible tool in this chess game of what might happen. So the most of the influence has come to the market through the higher crude oil price and of course, that also affects soybean oil as well and corn to a, a, a more limited extent. We're watching the situation in, in Ukraine, I think, pretty closely. I think most people are. It's very yeah. much the top news story. But we are also starting to see these ancillary effects. People have talked about how China is perceiving this situation, what that could mean for Taiwan. Folks are talking about the natural gas pipeline Um, from Russia to Germany and whether the U.S. might sanction that or what U.S. sanctions might look like and how that could affect other relationships. Do you expect that there's a possibility for significant disruptions that could extend into ag markets in the coming months? Or do you expect maybe even for ag markets to be able to avoid most of it? Yeah, that is a very tough question to answer. And I can tell you my entire career in the markets, there's always a threat of a conflict somewhere that could threaten to disrupt things and get worse. And so that's always a nervous background that we always have. And then sometimes events like this come to the forefront more. It's tough because you don't want to necessarily snowball fears of what might happen, but you do have to keep an eye on these things and take them seriously. And of course, right now, Russia to Ukraine seems like the most likely threat, but you're right. We have problems with North Korea, with Iran, with China's thinking that they own Taiwan, and it it presents a lot of concerns (laughs) for us. And it's one reason why we can never be 100% confident about what's going to happen tomorrow. So it it adds to the difficulty of things, and uh, it can certainly scare traders from time to time, even if actual conflicts don't arise, lots of times just the threat of them is enough to really scare the market. So it's something we constantly deal with and never really have a good answer for. I want to check in on a little bit more local news. We've seen some pretty big disruptions with U.S.-Canadian trade supply chain-wise. Is that seem to be having an effect on trader outlooks on the market in the near term? Um, uh. Locally and regionally, yes. As far as the market from a a high-level perspective, not so much. But I I do think it's important to highlight that, for instance, cattle feeders in Canada are having a very difficult time getting corn shipped up from the U.S. this year. That's one of the real tough problems uh, that they're encountering. They're having 
problems with rail. And then, of course, now, uh, as you mentioned, we're having problems with trucks getting across the border at different sites. Canada usually does not import much corn from the U.S., but because of the drought this year, there there is that going on. And the USDA, like last year, for instance, at this time, uh, they imported less than a million metric tons. But now uh, USDA's estimate is up to 3.8, which is like roughly 150 million bushels. Locally and regionally, that has uh, a big effect on things that are happening. And of course, if you're a cattleman in, in uh, Canada, you're very concerned about where these supplies are going to come from and uh, and uh, that sort of thing. So it's the, there are definite, definite strains and cracks beneath the surface. I want to check in, I think, just as we run through all of the challenging big picture stuff here. One other thing I wanted to get your response on was we saw the Secretary of Agriculture actually make a big announcement this week about using some CCC funding to a billion dollars of CCC funding. So not a small amount to motivate climate smart agricultural activities. Obviously, that is not going to be happening in kind of any immediate term. But I'm curious, from the market perspective, when you see an announcement like that, or or anticipation of that kind of spending, what does that mean for potential outlooks for the market this year? I can't say that particular announcement really has any real significant market impact that I'm aware of, uh, to be honest. And there's all sorts of reasons to try to pursue favorable political goals of, you know, lower carbon things, but there's, we have a lot bigger problems at hand right now. So our logistics and our shipping problems are uh, much bigger and more disruptive. Our expensive fertilizer situation is uh, a much bigger practical disruptive problem right now. I'm not necessarily against any of those things, but I, I can't say they have a big significant market impact. That is a great transition to, I think, my last question, which is bringing together where we are in terms of the the global pandemic and the supply chain disruptions that you just mentioned. We talked a little bit about how the high fertilizer prices might be affecting people's planting decisions going into the 2022 season. But I'm curious how, as you look at agricultural markets and you know adjacent markets for fertilizer and other commodity products... Are you starting to see any kind of shifts there or are we still trending upwards? Any sign that things might be taking a turn? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think the most encouraging thing was the latest unemployment report that came out last week. The number of jobs in the U.S. is back within 2 million of where we were before the pandemic. So there's been phenomenal progress. So we lost 25 million, over 25 million jobs during the pandemic. We're now back within 2 million of where we were. And to me, that is at the heart of where the salute, the long-term solution needs to come to get our shipping back and our logistics back in order and the ports straightened out and all of that. We need to get people back to work or we don't have a prayer of fixing those things anytime soon. So on that progress, it's very encouraging. It's also very encouraging to see that the new daily cases of coronavirus have dropped significantly this month. Uh, That is a a huge relief, and that should also help job growth moving forward. And lastly, continue to watch our oil production statistics. And unfortunately, we're still about one and a half million barrels a day short of where we were before the pandemic. And we really need to get that energy production going again. 
especially with the hostile threats that we're seeing in the outside world and, and Russia's current attitude right now. They remain a, a wild card and a threat to world oil production. Any other big stories that you're following or keeping an eye on as we move towards a little bit more of a busy season in the next couple of months? Boy, it, it really all comes back to South America. And just I think it's just that over the past at least five or six years, China's dependence on Brazil for soybeans has just become enormous. And uh, so for Brazil to come up short on a crop this year, it's really hard to assess so far just how bullish that is for the U.S. soybean supply situation and the price. So it, it's very difficult to know just how high this market's going to go for soybeans this year. And of course, uh, we haven't even uh, got close to our planning situation yet. There's a lot of reason to plant a little more soybean acres, guys, if you get a chance to do that. Do you foresee a future in the next, I don't know, several years where, where soybeans outstrip corn as a dominant crop in the U.S.? From a, from a demand perspective, that is the way the trends are headed. But I also know that corn remains such an important part of the whole ag ecosystem. A lot of us have uh, corn that goes to neighbors' cattle, if not their own cattle, and they also are tied into near buy local ethanol plants. There's a big commitment to corn in the U.S. So I, I think for the foreseeable future, it's going to stay roughly in balance with soybeans. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.